welcome to the Pseudobook Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Edwards, and today we have a very special guest, Sarah Tallman. Sarah is a dancer and choreographer with Wonderbound. Why don't you say hi? Hello, everybody. Also joining us is special co-host Meredith Strathmeyer. Meredith is a good friend, and more importantly, she's also a dancer at Wonderbound. Hey, (laughs) y'all. So I'm really excited to talk with both of you guys about Sarah's work choreographing a brand new piece as part of Wonderbound's latest production, Enduring Grace. little background for our listeners. Wonderbound began in the early 90s under the name Ballet Nouveau Colorado. Since 2007, they've been led by artistic director Garrett Ammon and producing director Don Fay. Both of you have been with Wonderbound uh, about 10 years, right? This is my 11th season. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, and this is my ninth. So we've been here from before um, Before Don and Garrett Garrett. took over the helm. Yep. So uh, Wonderbound, on its website, describes itself as an American dance company that creates genre-defying performances in collaboration with a wide array of local artists. Having seen a few of your guys' shows, I I would describe it as a little more hip and modern than what I think of as like like classical ballet. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Do you think that's like a fair way to describe it? Yeah. I mean, it's really um, classical in its base. So we take a um, very regimented classical ballet class every morning, hour and a half. Um, just because that's our that's our base and that's what we feel um, kind of best doing, um, and it and it has roots. You know, there's a whole ballet history with that, so um, it's rigorous and it's mm-hmm. demanding and challenging, and so that's what we do. And then um, everything else after that kind of becomes Pandora's box. Gotcha. You kind of do whatever, and it is really cool when you look at our audience. The scope is quite broad. So you'll see, I mean, we've even had little children at our shows all the way up to senior citizens. So it's Wide appeal. Yeah, it has a wide appeal, and it's neat to see just every seat in the house is different. And uh, for for more context for the listener, um, you should definitely check out if there's anything online you can see of their productions, because it's not... Um, there's, there's a whole audio-visual component. There's live music, um, and not just uh, orchestras, but bands and um, singer-songwriters. There's lots of interesting mixes of collaboration happening. So it's definitely a, one of the most fascinating uh, ballet companies I've ever encountered. Um, oh, that's awesome. And so we are gathered here today not just to talk about Wonderbound, but also because, Sarah, you're, you're working on a brand-new uh, piece that's part of the forthcoming Enduring Grace. That is uh, correct. And this isn't the first time you've done choreography for Wonderbound. You've done it a couple times before. But I'm just reading from the the info. Um, So you're working on a piece that's set to the uh, Edward Edward Griegs Holberg Suite? Yes, Edward Griegs Holberg Suite. And you're mixing that with something surreal and modern. And do you just want to talk a little bit about that? So what, what are you doing with this piece? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are collaborating with the Colorado Symphony for um, this particular production. Um, and um, I'm using Edvard Griegs Holberg Suite, which is a really rich, um, beautiful, kind of um, full 23-minute piece of classical music. Edvard Grieg is a, a Norwegian composer. Um, and then my inspiration for the piece is Rene Magritte, who is a, um, surrealist artist, um, from Belgium. So he kind of 
was a major player in the surrealist movement um, during that during that time. So I think that he painted his first known painting in um, pre World War One, and his last painting was, um, I believe, in the late fifties. Um, that's pretty broad scope because I could mm-hmm. be wrong about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, his one of his um, most famous paintings is called Son of Man. Um, and it's a man in a bowler hat. That was something that he was, um, kind of known for, um, man in a bowler hat with an apple in front of his face. And you can kind of see the eye just above the apple. You have to look pretty close and, Mm -hmm. um, be really kind of interested in what's being hidden, which is, um, consequently one of Magritte's sort of, um, things that he was dedicated to was, revealing that which was hidden so that that is actually the thing that is um, most interesting and creates curiosity for the viewer is not what you can see, but what you can't see. Mm-hmm. So that juxtaposed with the Greek um, kind of creates a, an already surreal environment mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. because they kind of don't match each other, mm-hmm. um, which is great. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of what makes it interesting. I mean, even in philosophy, we have what uh, Hegel called, like, thesis and antithesis. And, like, you bring things that are, like, incompatible together. Or maybe incompatible is a bad word, but things that are very different and opposed. And you see what happens when you try to forge ahead without getting rid of one. It's like, let's have both. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like with Marguerite's work, there's... Um, there's something kind of simple about his approach. So um, other surreal surrealists during that time, artists in particular, um, there's a lot. It's almost seemed forced to me. I'm sure, you know, I'm, of course, studying Magritte pretty closely, so I'm feeling attached to it. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it has these two kind of opposite forces. And um, he also was interested in Freud and dreams. And so that's kind of something that I'm thinking about. And I'm also interested in, mm-hmm. um, the conscious versus the subconscious versus the unconscious. Um, just kind of as a broad scope of things that I'm are rummaging around in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these lofty concepts, these different, um, movements and periods in art, when you actually sit down to try to work on the, the actual bare bones, what is going to happen in this um, how do you start? How do you go about that? That's a very good question. Um, sometimes I feel like I cross my fingers, close my eyes, and throw salt over my right shoulder. <laughs> but um, I really um, am pretty attached to research. So just knowledge um, mm-hmm. and kind of trying to find out as much as I possibly can about what it is I'm doing. So um, really researching Grieg and and the kind of composer that he was, just to have information um, kind of at the ready if I need it. Um, yeah, inspiration, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same with the Magritte, like really studying who he was and just learning about um, his life and kind of the mundane things that um, seem kind of like research project oriented. <laughs> yeah. I really kind of love that stuff. Um, so um, just doing as much research as I possibly can. And then kind of just waiting for, this is going to sound silly, but I do kind of just wait for, um, like I know it when I see it or I know mm-hmm. it when I feel it. Hard to describe when it, is. it just happens. Yeah, kind of like put these two things together and listening to the music, becoming really kind of married to the music is really mm-hmm. important. Um, 
And just that is kind of on rinse, repeat, rinse, recycle, I guess. Um, not recycle. Just <laughs> rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, so I'm reading. I'm always like learning things and then listening to the music and then going back and mm-hmm. le- reading some more things and learning some more things and listening to the music again and until kind of the music, the only music that would ever make sense for this ballet yeah. is the, you know, the grave or whatever. Is, yeah. It. Yeah. It just kind of becomes one. So, um, and I really love kind of the, um, maybe psychological intricacies of a uh, work. I like to think about, um, how people's brains work and my brain works and mm-hmm. what happens kind of up there. Cause we know so little about, um, the brain. <laughs> so I find all of that stuff really fascinating. Sometimes it enters in, in one second and then, you know, gone and the mm-hmm. next, but yeah. And the incredible thing is it's all done without words. I think that's one of the things that people walk away from these performances. Like you feel so much and all that research that you have developed and gotten your arsenal, like you're able to really express that through your choices. And sometimes it's as subtle as looking out from under the brim of a hat right. in a certain way. Yeah. Because you've been exploring that a lot in the past couple of days. I have, yeah, researching those subtleties. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that you bring up words because that's also something that um, if I'm feeling like I need to have something written down, I, I never really pre-plan steps, um, but I'll write words down mm-hmm. um, that are really kind of make me again feel something um yeah i'll write down whatever that whatever the word is and then it kind of um creates yeah more inspiration and then i can say oh wow this word makes me feel this way and Mm -hmm. of course all the words Mm -hmm. are kind of related to the subject matter so right on um yeah so that's interesting that you yeah said that so as you go through this process and there's no telling how long you know maybe some things happen fast and some things take a long time to sort of a marinade. Um, is there a certain point where you're, you're like, you know, I'm ready to bring this and involve other people and, or like, is there a certain point in time where it's like, I need to see other people trying these things or is that early or late in the process? That's an excellent question. Um, that can be different for every piece of course, but yes, there definitely is a point where, um, I do feel like you kind of have to just dive off the high dive a little bit. Like, okay, let's just get started. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to kind of trust um, myself and trust the dancers and trust the music and trust the subject matter. Um, And I usually like to start with everybody um, on my first official day of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. However, the last couple years, I've sort of developed a different um, approach to to how that is. Um, and that is putting my headphones on, stepping to the side of the studio with a couple of dancers. Um, I used Meredith and another dancer, uh, Danny for this mm-hmm. particular piece and whatever else is happening in the room, another rehearsal or photographers or whatever. I'm just over there with my headphones listening to the music and I kind of start creating movement. Um, And so then I think it's at that point when I have my first official day of rehearsal that I am ready for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's just listening to, I guess, my intuition. Um, Some days move really quickly. For example, the first day I had all the dancers in the studio, I created um, all of the movement for the first section. 
It was astounding. I didn't structure it. <laughs> it was like day one, and it was like Nailed boom, it. boom, 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 boom. We, there wasn't a moment to pause. It just the information was flowing out of her, and so we were just like running to catch up, and it was done. Like yeah, the first movement. The first movement done in a day. Like that's. It was pretty crazy. It was exciting. But that's why all of that, um, <laughs> the research and the reading and the listening and sort of. Um, because yeah, it prepares this, you for that. Absolutely. And this seed was planted a year ago, or probably not that long ago, six or eight months ago, mm-hmm. um, I guess, uh, in, in regarding that I, I knew that I would be choreographing for this show. So, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things kind of take their own path. Um, yeah. And then there's days where you just kind of stand there and go, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do something different. You just have to work through it. Yeah. Literally one step at a time. Well, if you step here. I found that with some other artistic endeavors. I do a lot of music, but, like, there there, there are those days where you just feel like you got nothing. Yes. And, like, I found as a musical artist, like, I can't wait until I feel great. Like, you just have to work through things. And is it similar? Absolutely. Yeah. It's literally, like, for me, (laughs) this is going to sound so funny. (laughs) I just have to kind of close my eyes and put my hand on my heart and take some really deep breaths and just kind of go, it's going to happen. And it might literally be one step at a time. Um, and it might take me 25 minutes or an hour or whatever it is to figure out, you know, four or eight counts or one eight count, Mm -hmm. but just kind of going, okay, we're just slowing down a little bit for this moment in time. And that's okay. Just being okay with that. Mm-hmm. Is that something yeah. you've learned, like through? Because you've been choreographing for yeah. quite a few years. Uh, at the beginning of that path, would, would you get into the rehearsal studio and you'd have goals set for yourself, like I need five minutes by the end of today? Yeah, sometimes I would have stuff. I would think about that, you know, because I didn't know what my process was. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a process of trial and error. Like, yeah, I today I need to do five minutes, and then realizing that. You know, some days five minutes is going to take five minutes. (laughs) And then other days, five minutes can take the entire day. So I did do that. Um, Also, I will say watching Garrett choreograph um, is super inspirational. There's so much information. And and watching Dawn teach class and kind of how they both navigate and negotiate Mm -hmm. those moments. Um, And I think one thing I used to get really nervous about was, oh my gosh, the dancers are waiting for me and they're, you know, they're looking at me wondering what's next and I don't know. And really, because I'm a dancer also, the dancers are going, okay, now I can have a minute to figure out (laughs) what we just did and take a breath and now I feel caught up. So Mm -hmm. if I think just treating the process in the most organic way you possibly can is, is, um, probably the best best way for me anyway mm-hmm. have you found that uh compared to the previous pieces you've done with wonderbound that your approach is any different for this one or um a little bit i think the more i do this the more i know so um it's again learn knowledge applied knowledge learn knowledge a little more confidence knowledge. you know what you like you know yes. what you want to see absolutely and you know what experiments now not to say that you shouldn't experiment or try it again, you know, if something didn't work um, two years ago when I made a ballet or last year when Mm -hmm. I made the ballet, maybe whatever that was is going to work now. And it's pretty remarkable how you can kind of call on those moments. 
I guess they're mm. like little gems that you're like, oh, I really want this moment to be in the ballet. Like, yeah. okay, save it. I'll tuck that away in a little drawer. And um, so just knowing more, I think is helpful, but every process I will say is so different. Really? Yes. That's cool. Like this process for me, this ballet for me, I'm kind of like every day I'm just like kind of ticking off one idea. And sometimes ballets are like, I have maybe the whole thing mapped out or, and this one is like, well, what's going to happen? I don't know. Do this. <laughs> Let me see what that looks like. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Cool. Um, can you tell us a little more how um, your piece is fitting in with the broader ballet of Enduring Grace? Is it, is there a common theme throughout the different pieces? Um, I don't think there's necessarily a theme other than Enduring Grace. Um, but I do think that surrealism being kind of my um, diving board or um, launch pad for, for the piece. Um, there's some natural, it's naturally dark. I'll just say that surrealism. Mm. It has a naturally dark quality to it. Um, and it is pre world war one kind of pushing into world war two, the bulk of it happened before world war two. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still a lot of surrealism going on after that. So I think that, um, it kind of had a political movement with, with it as well, just like a lot of things. Um, there were writers and poets and musicians that were all kind of on board with this movement. So I think in terms of enduring grace, really enduring those times. And because this, um, the surrealist movement primarily took place in Belgium and France, pre-World War One into World War One, World War Two. I think that just that time period alone kind of speaks to, to that, the subject of enduring grace. Um, that's what I'm going with right now. Cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was reading on the Wonderbound website, and uh, part one of the descriptions of Wonderbound was that it was an American ballet company. And I didn't know if that was just pure geography were located in America, or if that actually informs the creativity or the art of Wonderbound. And is that is it differ from other American ballet companies? Um, I think it definitely differs, and um, I, I'll speak to this quickly mm-hmm. and um this is my take on it mm-hmm. so so much of um american dance thus far ha- it has kind of a um i'm going to lose the words it has some unwritten rules i guess i will say um that this company being an american dance company is changing So in order for our art form to continue evolving, we have to kind of change how we approach that art form. So, and I think that's actually one of the reasons that the word ballet is not in, in Mm -hmm. our, our name at all, because, um, we do do so many collaborations, but this could be the face of American dance now. So Mm -hmm. we're kind of creating this new, um, it's not a new art form, but our approach to it is very different and new. So a lot of um, European choreographers, they have their um, really broad signature and kind of strength in what they're doing, not just in dance, but in music, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's no reason that as Americans that we can't kind of forge ahead in the dance realm as well. Art's changing. Music is changing. Um, painters are changing. So we have an opportunity to kind of forage that path. 
Yeah, I was going to ask. It seems like I'm not as familiar with the dance world, but like just thinking about music, like every decade brings at least a couple new genres. It seems like mm-hmm. is dance. Does it move at that pace, or is it? Um, does the world of dance is it every decade like a completely different look? Or I feel like dance is a little more reluctant to change as quickly. I think it's um, a progressive, slow growth, and then when it hits, it hits. I mean, there are certain choreographers whose works will be showcased around the country because mm-hmm. it's it's hot, and suddenly mm-hmm. it's it resonates and it just takes yes. over. Yes, and then you see the little ripple effect, and you see it all the way down to the schools where you know we're teaching the next generation. Like those styles are suddenly making their way into mm-hmm. these kids' you know recitals and things. But I, I think it's it's slower to change. We can look back and see the clear delineation. Mm-hmm. Of Is like, it a little harder to say, like, if I said, like, there are 80s films, and you would immediately think of, like, oh, I can think of exactly what an 80s movie is like. Is it as easy to do with... <laughs> The 80s in particular, I guess, are like a huge, no, that was a great decade. And I think that that, the 80s was like when dance was really booming here. Mm -hmm. I think that was like. And even tying in with movies like Flashdance. Oh, totally. Oh, I guess that's right. Like it had a really significant place in pop culture. I like what you said, though, Meredith, about how it's reluctant to change because I think that sometimes we may have the sense that um, I know as a, as a classically trained dancer, um, I'm really attached to that training. And I think that you can be attached to the training, but it doesn't mean that you need to put on point shoes and a white tutu mm-hmm. to be attached to the training. And so I do think that there is some reluctance in that regard. Like yes, maybe. maybe you no, can, I agree. You can separate the uh, the discipline and the strength and the skills learned from that training, but not make it go all the way into the art and creativity. Like you can, yeah. you can take the creative side somewhere else while using that rigor learned. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's exactly what Wonderbound does. Okay. Actually, yeah, mm-hmm. because the fact that we do so many collaborations, it it creates. It, well, it's a win-win, first of all, because the sum is always greater than its parts. So we're amazing. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> the people that we collaborate with are also amazing. And so, I mean, the possibilities, you know, yeah, other I mean, than spontaneously combusting are, like, <laughs> huge. <laughs> Maybe we can, we can talk about that a little bit, too, because you've had an amazing roster of collaborators, even just the musical side, with Ian Cook very mm-hmm. recently yes. and uh, Jesse Manley. Who came on your show. Yeah, who was on a previous yeah. episode. Um, and then for this uh, production, the Colorado Symphony. And So are they coming here for rehearsals and uh, working with you guys? Um, the symphony might be a little bit different because they are a union. So I'm not sure what their exact, we'll have a very brief period of time. I'll say that with the symphony. It's a little harder to schedule and figure out with, I mean, more moving parts when you have just like a singer songwriter or a small band, it's a little easier to get them in and, and work with them more extensively maybe. Absolutely. But then, so it is different with every collaboration. We'll Mm -hmm. be working with the Denver Confluence String Quartet. Um, in November, and I imagine they'll be in 
probably two or three times, at least twice, I would imagine, before we go to stage. And then Chimney Choir, which is um, mm. for our for our last performance of the season, Boomtown. Boomtown, they came into the studio for a week with us. and We had a whole workshop yeah. with them, which was incredible. We've never done anything like that that far out. Mm-hmm. Generally, with the way our season is constructed, we have about four or five weeks sometimes six, if we're lucky, <laughs> to put together these shows. Yeah. And so the fact that we got to work with them in this really, and our studio space is big and lovely, but it's intimate. And we're, they're rehearsing on the side, and we're creating on our side, and then we're moving together and doing contact improv. And Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. become a really, a true collaboration. I feel like some people will just take someone's music that they've made, mm-hmm. make dance steps to it, and make a production. What I think is cool, too, um, you guys open, or you have, like, publicly viewable times when you're rehearsing, too, right? Is that always or just sometimes? Always. Yeah. Always. And so um, if you're unfamiliar with Wonderbound, they're they're located downtown in Denver now. Is this Five Points neighborhood? This is Five Points. Okay, technically Five Points. They're nearby a couple of really great breweries. I'm a big fan of great (laughs) Yes, Um, (laughs) But that's also part of the culture here, too, that it's not just this thing stuffed away in an ivory tower. It's, like, very much part of the city and people walking by can see the creativity happening here in this neighborhood. It's And I've it's been really cool. I've been impressed because Sarah has just really started diving into her piece for Enduring Grace. But every day that she's been creating on us, there have been I mean, sometimes there are like thirty people sitting on couches, hands folded in their laps, just watching. <laughs> and that's I mean, some it it's hard for the dancer sometimes because you want it to be good. (laughs) People are watching, so you want to give them a show. But, I mean, to be a choreographer as well, that has to add a whole other layer of, like, visibility of your work. Yeah, that's really exciting. I know as a dancer, um, I love having people come in and watch. I feel like we are, it is more vulnerable, Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something really beautiful about that because then you have the opportunity to make mistakes in front of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually really important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a really beautiful thing because we're just human. And I guess I would say the same thing for as in terms of my choreography. Um, I did have a couple moments (laughs) the last couple days where I was like, oh, my gosh, there are a lot of people watching me not do this right now or (laughs) whatever it is. But it's the same thing. Like if I can make a ballet or dance in a ballet in front of perfect strangers and make mistakes and say, no, I don't want it that way. I want it this way. Or whoops, I messed up that step. Let me go back and do it again. I think that that people want to see the work. And so Mm -hmm. I find that to be kind of exhilarating, fresh, Mm. kind of fresh energy in the space. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. And it probably is really helpful just to be be in front of people that um, aren't as familiar and just kind of getting their own take, their own, from whatever circumstance they come from. Um, A little taste of that before you're actually doing it in front of an audience. Absolutely. That it makes going to the audience like no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's another rehearsal. It's another I mean. rehearsal, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's exciting. 
Um, if you weren't doing ballet, what would you be doing? Uh, <laughs> Is that impossible <laughs> to answer? I used to say, I used to say there was no option for me but to be a dancer. And I, you know, I think that, um, I'm kind of operating in my zone of genius right now. So it's something, um, I am meant to be a dancer. I meant to make ballets. I meant mm-hmm. to be artistically inclined. Um, however, if I were not a dancer, I used to say that I would be um, a musician because I played the viola for a really long time. It felt like a long time. I think maybe in the course of my life, it probably wasn't that long. But, <laughs> but those um, rehearsals felt long. They felt so long. <laughs> I was actually, I went to college as a music major. Um, that's what I was, that's what mm-hmm. I meant. Uh, to do initially. Um, and, and that didn't last that long. So uh, just because I wanted to dance, mm-hmm. it's like, well, this is silly. Why am I just not doing what I want to do? So that, and then I'm really, like I said earlier in the podcast, um, that I'm, I really love psychology. So I don't know if I would have been a psychologist, but, um, those kinds of things excite me. And I mm-hmm. like to kind of climb around and all of that stuff. So that's actually what makes what I'm doing right now so exciting because we are working with classical music, mm-hmm. which is primarily what I was was playing as a violist. And then I can kind of climb around in this psychological aspect of yeah. Magritte and also dance. And so, yeah, I feel... Getting everything at once. Yeah. yeah a whole package like, right there. Wow. <laughs> Pinch myself. <laughs> yeah. So um, for the listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with the dance scene right now. Uh, Female choreographers and female artistic directors are actually still quite rare um, in our little landscape. So how do you, um, like, does that affect you as you come into the workspace? Like, do you think about that as you come in? I used to not think about that at all. I used to just do it kind of. And so there's something really beautiful about, um, not knowing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just letting it come forth. and just kind of letting it come forth. But then when you start, you know, I started researching, um, other choreographers and being involved in, as an American dancer in American dance. Um, yeah, you start to research and realize that you know, female female choreographers are there are not a lot of them. And what is that? Why is that? You know, why do men kind of, for lack of a kinder phrase, rule the roost? Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and and I think that there's some really, yeah, there's beautiful female choreographers, choreographers and male choreographers. But that is something that I think about. Um, I think about how I use my voice in the room. Um, because I think about that a lot actually. And that's something that is a little bit new for me, but I started thinking about it a couple of years ago because not only am I a peer when I'm dancing or choreographing for Wonderbound, but Mm -hmm. I'm also a female. And so, um, what I say needs to be really clear. And, you know, I of course believe in kindness above all things, but kindness, but getting out what you need from, um, the dancers and mm. um, the dancers are amazing, but it is different having a female voice in the room. And um, I was actually joking. I wasn't joking. I was talking <laughs> with Don and Carrot about 
about what it is to use a, your voice as a female. And Garrett had mentioned how interesting it might be to have a man say something and then have a woman say the exact same thing and kind of mm-hmm. the reactions. So I do think that I think about that a lot. I also think um, creating a quality in our art form is of, um, I was going to say the utmost importance. I think it's a really important thing to create that quality because whenever we have um, equality in yourself um, regarding the kind of the masculine feminine, and I'm not, not gender specific, but mm-hmm. just that those energies um, you're creating balance. So um, when you're in an organization or um, yeah, up in front of people or the dance world at large and you're balancing that out or creating a quality, then you you are balancing the scales a little bit. So I think that everybody has a, a stronger voice um, or not a voice, which is equally as beautiful to not say anything or as powerful to not say anything. To be able to choose that if yes. the voice yes. you want. Absolutely. Without kind of a filter and and there's no, not that you would be saying rude things. I don't right. mean it in that way, but <laughs> yeah. So just, again, I'll just say creating balance. Um, in the room or in the in the dance world at large, I think would be that's kind of a huge goal for me. I'm, I get excited about that. That's awesome. So, um, just for the listener, um, if you're if you're hoping to check out uh, Enduring Grace, um, you can come by for a teaser episode where we'll be showing like samples from the the, the greater work. Um, September 25th here at Wonderbound Studio, and we'll have details on the podcast show notes. Um, and then later in October, the middle of October, 18th through 26th, the actual production goes live. So Yay. check that out <laughs> and check out wonderbound.com for details and buy tickets and go see it. It's going to be awesome. Yes, it will. Thank you so much for being with us, Sarah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. And thank you, Meredith, for co-hosting. <laughs> of course. <laughs> this was really fun, y'all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pseudobook Podcast. Be sure to head to wonderbound.com for more information about their newest production, Enduring Grace, including when and where and how to buy tickets. Also, head to pseudobookpodcast.com for more shows, episodes, and comments.